to the epistle of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 1 again this week. You know, there's different modes of transportation. You know, you can walk along and you can see a lot of things, or you can get in your car and you can see a few things, but you miss a lot. And then sometimes when you fly in a jet, you can kind of just see the big scope and big picture. So we're kind of flying through a couple of things here in uh, First Peter. But I want to remind you again of a theme last week of, 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 of salvation. And last week was the big picture, the jet flight over, just the wonder of it. Now, there's a lot of things in there that we could dissect, and I would encourage you to do so. Uh, in fact, probably one of the, of, of say, three influential classes I had in seminary, the doctrine of soteriology had to be ranked right up there among the top, and that is it was a class on the study of salvation. And uh, it was just a delight uh, to, t to, to take 13 weeks taking apart, you might say, and following a lot is, is what we would call the order salutis, the order of salvation, calling, regeneration, faith, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, and glorification. And we try to kind of put these things apart so we can wrap our brains around them, knowing that in God, in eternity, they're all one and the same. But what a magnificent and tremendous time that was. So we're not doing that. Uh, we're, we're taking the broader. And so this morning, as last week, we looked at the wonder of salvation, just how magnificent it is. Again, God's great mercy. This morning, looking at the calling of salvation. Hear now God's word. Be subject. Excuse me. I was in 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. 
having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we just pray that your spirit would illuminate your word to our eyes and minds, that we may understand and that we may be challenged to grow closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends and elect exiles, I hope you noticed that word was used again in this passage, that of being an exile. That is the proper frame of mind that we need to put ourselves into, and especially when we come to this topic of salvation. I also, I would be bereft if I didn't almost kind of quote to you. Last week, I put out to you two verses that I said would kind of be a theme through uh, this, this jet flight look of salvation, and that's where I was when I began. It's in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 and 10. Do you remember I read it last week? Who can read it with me? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people. Now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Saved by God's great mercy. Imagine you're homeless, destitute, you're given a home, beautiful home, and yet you refuse to live in it. You'd rather go live in the streets, not wondering where your next meal's going to come from. Or maybe that's not something that really resonates with you. Maybe you like to drive. And you were given a car. You ha you haven't ha you've never had a car. But you know what? You decide you're just going to keep walking. Or I'll try another one. Maybe you were given a horse. Oh, a beautiful horse. And, and you can see it run in the... In the, in the pasture, and, and it's just a magnificent animal. And it's given to you for you to take care of and to ride and just enjoy the, the pleasure of being on a horse. 
I know a few people who that really resonates with. And, but guess what? You decide, nah, I don't want to have anything to do with that animal. Most of us would sit there and say, how foolish of these people to be given such amazing gifts and then just to ignore it and act as if it didn't even exist for them. Kind of like Hebrews says to us in 13 verse 4, we should be careful lest we neglect such a great salvation that God has given to us. You know, I talked again last week about just the wonder and magnificence of God's great mercy. But I wonder how many of us look at God's great mercy as if it's some sort of trophy that we put it on a mantle and go back and just say, yep, pretty neat, that's mine. And when we walk through the room, we can look over to it on the mantle. Yeah, salvation. Yeah, that was pretty neat. It even has the date I received Christ on it, you know. And we just keep on going. My friends, the gospel did not come to you to sit idle within you. I have a good friend as I was getting close to retiring from the military and, and wondering what I was going to do when I grew up. And, and this man is a pastor, uh, to, uh, a coach, you might say, to pastors is what he does. His name is Tony Giles. And, and I was talking to, to him about his method. Uh, and, and, you know, because everything in, in, out there is gospel this, gospel that. And so his, he said he did gospel coaching with pastors. And I was like, okay, okay, come on. What does that mean? And so he took it down and dissected it a little bit for me. He said, you know, he says, I have a lot of pastors who come to me. And they're saying, you know, I want to improve my preaching. And he's like, okay, yeah, all right. Or they come and they, there's some certain skill set that they think they need to improve on. And he says, I'm really not moved by that at all. He said, I really want to know, though, what the gospel is doing in their lives. How is the gospel coming into them and being pushed into their lives that it can't help but overflow and go out? That's what I want to see, and that's what I talk about when I talk about gospel coaching, that the gospel came to us in order to go through us to accomplish God's purposes. And so I ask you this morning as we come to this passage, how is the gospel propelling you? You know, I'm sure most of us experience something similar to this. You're on a lake and you're in a boat. And, and if you've ever, have you ever experimented, you know, if the motor boat is, is out of the water, you can crank that motor on and it can, and that blade can go around just 100 miles an hour. And you're not going anywhere. You put that down into the water, all of a sudden it propels you. That's what the gospel is in, intended 
to do in our lives. It is that amazing. So I'd like to just point out three, briefly, three things that this passage brings out that we need to have as blades on our propeller of how the gospel comes into our lives. And the first one is that of obedience. Twice he refers to it, initially he says, as obedient children. And then later in this passage, in 22, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. Now, if you've not been able to take part, Pastor McCracken has had an excellent series uh, on our Sabbath evenings through the Ten Commandments. And if, if you've been, if you've heard one of them, you know that, again, it's not a matter of checking the block and, and saying, oh, look at me, how good a person I am. I've never murdered anybody. But the commandments really speak to the heart and our uh, love, really, of God. That's how First John puts it. That's how the Apostle John puts it, that, that it's an expression of our love for God. It's not a rules checklist. Jesus made this very clear with the rich young ruler in Luke 18. As, as he goes to Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Wanting to justify himself. And Jesus playing along with him says, well, you, you know the commandments. You know the rules. Yeah, I know the rules. And I've checked them all. And he says, well, do something else. Go and sell everything you have. Oh, now it hit him where his heart was. And it says he went away sad because he had only obeyed through outward obedience, through a selfish obedience. It was only a set of hearts, and God's word was not connected to his heart. And see, really, the commandments that God has given us is really a test of whether we believe God really cares for us and whether God really loves us. Just a couple of quick examples. You know, we like to go to the Garden of Eden in Genesis where Adam and Eve disobeyed. We like to use that disobeyed part. Really, it was saying, God, I really don't think you care for me. Because what did God say? You may eat of all of the fruit of the garden, but this one, because in the day you eat this, you will die. God didn't want them to die. He, he enjoyed the friendship. He was able to come in and commune with them. It was paradise. It was the Garden of Eden. He did not want that destroyed. Please don't do that. You will die. And it was the deceiver, the evil one. He's just telling you that because he doesn't want you to be like him. You won't die. So the obedience factor was really, do I really think God cares and loves for me? Or do I want to take it into my own hands? You know, I was also intrigued as I was just doing some other, you know, in, in Joshua, as God was leading the people out 
uh, of, of their time in the wilderness, their 40 years in the wilderness, after having spent hundreds of years in slavery, and they're coming in to, to cross over into the promised land. And, and what does, does God say uh, to Joshua? Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Too often we paint the commandments and we paint this whole idea of obedience that all of a sudden God goes from this faithful, loving God to this waiting for us just to make a mistake so he can wrap us on the knuckles with a ruler or something. Where his, he's given them to us out of his love and he's given them to us for our success and for our well-being. What parent would let their two-year-old toddler just wander to a busy highway and just say, well, I'll let him take his chances. We'd be aghast. We would rush after that child because we don't want them to fall into harm. We are called to be obedient children. And if you see being obedient as something burdensome, I'm asking you to check your heart. Because God's love has come to you to bless you, to keep you for your success. And as those who are recipients of great mercy, we are called to be obedient. Next, and the most glaring part in this uh, passage that we've read as, as far as a calling, is that to be holy. Confession, straight up. I used to want to read this and just go right on. Holiness was a little bit too intimidating. And that was my fault, not the scripture's fault, obviously. Because I would put in my mind and had this mindset that holiness was really just an, uh, an advanced level of obedience. You're really, 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 really good at obedience, then you can be holy. Wrong. That's a fleshly way of looking at it. That's a mistaken way of looking at it. Remember what we are as God's children, born again, correct? To a living hope, a new creation. Be holy as I am holy, he says. It's not the future tense. Be holy, and someday when you get to heaven and eternity, okay, you'll have reached what you need to be. Now, I'm not preaching perfectionism. Don't go away and say that, all right? But God is calling us to reflect his nature here on earth. Are we not born of the Spirit? 
Now, we do know from Paul's writings, we struggle, and as long as we live in this fleshly carcass, and as long as we are breathing and living, we're going to be dealing with sin. That does not mean, my brothers and sisters, that we ignore God's call to holiness. I'm going to give you two passages in which at least help me to try to understand this a little bit of what the apostle and what the scriptures are telling us in this. The one is in Isaiah chapter 6. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. Maybe just make a note. Isaiah 6, in the first eight verses, though, Isaiah is having a vision uh, from the Lord. And he, he, he has this, this vision of a seraphim, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, Isaiah is seeing this vision and hearing these words of declaration of a holy God. And what does he do? He just almost crumbles. Because he, he says, woe to me. For I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And it says, Then one came down with a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So we, we see in the presence of God, or even that... That he's just collapsing in, in wonder, in awe, and in repentance. Because he is acknowledging the separation from the holiness of God to the sinfulness of him in the flesh. But in his repentance, he gets this forgiveness. And then the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. I would suggest to you that this passage presents to us a man whose heart was being developed to a pure heart ready to respond to God. If we are seek, to seek to be a holy people, we need to have hearts that, that, that even if we can't comprehend his holiness, in the presence of his holiness, say, here my Lord, send me. What do I need to do? I am ready to respond. The other one is in Philippians, very well-known passage, speaking of Christ and his example to us. In I'll just read for you again from chapter uh, 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or uh, conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind 
among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So not only do we need to develop a pure heart ready to respond to God, we need to develop a humble heart ready to listen to God. And I hope you see as I've drawn the the distinction between obedience and holiness that, again, because I... I don't think I'm alone in just sometimes thinking, well, holiness, yeah, that's, that's just a higher level of being a really good at obedience. I don't see that in Scripture. I see them talking about obedience and holiness. There is a connection, though. And I think the more we want to be obedient from a pure heart and understand God's care and love for us, the more we have an appreciation of his holiness and we're more ready to listen and respond in saying, here am I, Lord, send me. So we are called to obedience. We are called to holiness. And I know many times we see holiness as given is just taking it as being set apart. Yes, anything that was, say, going to have anything to do with God in the Old Testament, in the temple and its practice, they would have to, to, to purify, you know, and so you'd have, in essence, holy utensils, those things set apart for the worship of God. But when he says, be holy as I am holy, And yes, God is there as a set of partners, you might say to him even there, when he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts not your ways, thoughts, because as high as my ways uh, are from yours is is as far as the heavens from the earth. So yes, there is that. But are we not to be his chosen race, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, Christ-like, Christian. And that we want to be holy because he is holy and we want to be like our Savior. The third thing that I would say that this little passage here is telling us to do that is calling to us in our salvation is found I'm in Philippians in verse 22 having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love Love one another earnestly. 
If you thought obedience and holiness was hard, oh my goodness. Love one another earnestly. Now, why, why do I say that? Why do I suggest that love is so hard? Because of people. Like me. I know me all too well. I'm not always that lovable. But Christ loved us while we were yet sinners. When we were enemies with him. And so we're asked not to just put on a good face, not to just, you know, shake hands, and if you want to give the man hug, you know, two pats, more than two pats, no, okay? But what all is implied there? We need to care for one another. That means being engaged. We need to, in, in sort of a way, kind of, I, I need to know what's going in your life. So I can, not so I can be nosy, so I can pray for you. So I can care for you. And you for me. And by doing so, we encourage one another. We strengthen one another. We build one another up. There is no reason... Everyone in here, if we were to do something, should really be in the same room due to our differences. You know, clubs are always built around similarities. Golf clubs, tennis clubs, horse clubs. Those are some of our human experiences. Humanly speaking, our differences probably vary quite a bit. But the one thing that brings us here is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our unifier. Differences divide. Love unites. Jesus Christ knowing he was about to be betrayed, knowing he was about to die, knowing he was about to suffer at the hands of wicked and evil men, what did he do? Lord, I pray that you will make them one as you and I are one. He prayed for unity. It was that important to him. The Apostle Paul, in the famous Love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide. The most important is love. We read it throughout the New Testament. We are called to obedience. We are called to holiness. 
we are called to love one another earnestly. Not to live in the passions of our former ignorance. Not to live in our futile ways. But in light of salvation. You know, the gospel in uh, the, this, Paul's conversion in Acts is amazing, isn't it? You know, you have Paul breathing uh, just murder and insults against God's people, going from synagogue to synagogue, town to town, to see who he could tear down, who he could throw into prison, how he could destroy this new cult following this person, Jesus. And, of course, he's blinded by a great light can respond nothing other than say, Lord, who are you? It's Jesus, whom you persecuted. And we have the story how he was taken to a house and how they prayed with him. And, it, and I love the phrase in the story where it says, when Paul's sight was being restored because he was blinded by the light, and it was like, it says, scales fell from his eyes. Whoa, I don't want to live in those futile ways. I don't want to live in that ignorance anymore. I can do nothing else but live in the salvation that has been given to me. And just like that, he went from breathing insults and murder to Christ's followers, to being one of them. Oh, that scales may fall from our eyes and that the gospel that has come into our lives may be pushed into us and propelled outward in acts of obedience and holiness and loving one another earnestly. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for salvation given by your great mercy. And we just pray that while you give us life and breath on this earth, we dare not neglect such a great salvation but live to serve you, honor you, and praise your holy name. Give us faith to be obedient, to seek holiness, and to love one another. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's.